thewellnesscouch.com, streaming wellness into your lives. Welcome to 100 Not Out, featuring your hosts, Dr. Damien Christoph and Marcus Pierce. Welcome to 100 Not Out, a weekly show dedicated to helping you master the art of aging well. My name is Marcus Pierce, and I am here with the ever-awesome co-founder of The Wellness Couch and The Wellness Guys, Dr. Damien Christoph. Hi there, Damo. Hello, MP. How are you? I'm great, mate. We're going to climb some mountains the, uh, today. Yeah, we are. Big mountains too, by the way. Big mountains. Dame, Dame, I fancy this. I mean, you're 39, I'm 31. I fancy yeah. this. Let's have an epiphany at uh, the age of 68. Um, yeah. Go and climb Mount Everest, become the second oldest female, almost the oldest female to climb Everest, set a goal to then go and climb the seven highest mountains in the seven continents of the world by the time I turn 70 and uh, get busy. What do you reckon? Well, it sounds good, but you referred to yourself as a female. Were you talking about Jan Smith? <laughs> I was talking about the amazing Jan Smith. Uh, <laughs> Jan is a clinical psychologist from Melbourne, and uh, I, I don't know if I say part-time or full-time mountain climber. But Dr. Jan Smith, many thank yous uh, for joining us on 100 Not Out. Welcome to the program. It's a pleasure. I think of myself as the oldest Western woman because the person who um, put me to the post in May last year was Japanese, so at least I can console myself that I'm the oldest Western woman, if you can put it that way. Certainly. <laughs> uh, look, any label like that is uh, it's a one in a million label, so you've done a, a, an almighty job. Yeah. Um, Damo, you want to head off uh, proceedings? Well, locally grown, I love that. I lived in Elwood Park for a long time, and I love Elwood Park. It's a beautiful part of the world. I wonder whether or not, Jan, it's because you live in such a great place that you're able to pull off that kind of a feat. Would that be the case? Because you live in such a beautiful suburb of Melbourne, is that how you pulled it off, or what else went into it? Um, I started at 68, and I used to live in um, out near Doncaster, and I had a running track out there. Here ah. I've got Elwood Park Lake. It, it is a nice place to run around. It is, it is. Do you have any secrets? I mean, obviously people living down Bayside in Melbourne, we see people by the thousands on on a daily basis run around at Park Lake, run down along um, the the beach, down at the the water down there, um, through South Melbourne, along Port Melbourne. Running is important, movement's important, but how, and achieving goals is crucial it seems, but how did you pull off such an incredible feat? What was it? What did you have to do to, to do this? Well, I started in when I was 58 and I summited Everest finally after the third attempt when I was 68. So I started off trekking in Nepal, as many people do, and I just loved it and it just seemed like this is for me. So then I went back every year and uh, I trekked higher until I summited Mera Peak and that was um, the top of the trekking range. So then... They, the company, which was Peregrine, said to me, we don't go any higher than this and you can't hire boots for 8,000 metres. You need to start getting your own stuff and go to New Zealand for some mountaineering technique training. So I did that next with aspiring guides mm-hmm. um, in New Zealand because you can go practice on glaciers and you can go down crevasses and come up them, ice wall, climb ice walls um, at a relatively low altitude and you get used to the heavy equipment and the ropes and rope tricks and you don't get altitude sick. So New Zealand is a good place to train for mountaineering and they give you a certificate 
of competence when you've um, done enough of their stuff. So that's where I went next and then I was into the mountaineering range and I was advised to try um, 7,000 metre peaks next and then like seven and a half before attempting 8,000 metres. So I did that and I imagined it would be a smooth sort of step function but nothing ever goes according to plan. So more often than not there was some reason we couldn't even attempt summits. Mustagata was the next one in China. Mm -hmm. We had a, a whiteout and uh, we couldn't go above Camp 3. We went about to 700 metres and then it was um, the summit attempt was called off because we couldn't see anything. And the Sherpas were imported from Nepal and they didn't know the Karakoram Mountains, so they couldn't guide with the GPS either. They couldn't work it. So we came down. So more often than not... What's prevented a summit attempt has been the weather. Then I went to um, Choyu, which is 8,200 metres in 2007, but there was a storm in the Indian Ocean and once and our tents were avalanched and blown off the mountain, so we couldn't go to a high camp. We couldn't go higher than Camp 2. So um, I had another attempt at Choyu, which is like the training mountain for Everest, 8,200 metres and that was in 2009 and we got beautiful weather and we did textbook type of climb where you climb up uh, to a higher altitude to get acclimatised, you climb high and then you come down, sleep low and then you move up to that camp and then you climb up to the next one, then you sleep low and finally the summit day uh, arrives and you get up in the middle of the night with a head torch and you just keep climbing up ice <laughs> until you see the dawn appear. Um, and then you're getting closer to the summit, which you reach at about nine in the morning. The reason you do that at night is because um, it's uh, it's harder to descend and you need to see where you're going. You're, you're tired and you're coming downhill using the same muscles mm -hmm. all the time, the braking muscles, and uh, and you often descend two camps at a time. You, you come down out of the high altitude very fast, whereas you climb up one camp at a time. And then it was try for Everest, and that took me two shots from the south. Uh, one was a fierce storm where people around me died uh, while I was sheltering in my tent at 8,000 metres, which is regarded as the death zone. Far out. The next time I tried with a local company because it was cheaper and I thought they wouldn't be quite as strict as some of the high-powered American ones where you had to pretend you're a 40-year-old bloke, which is hard when you're 65, 6, 7. <laughs> Absolutely. So, yes, they wouldn't let me proceed, you know, beyond 7,000 metres because I might hold up the guys. So the third shot was last year, 2012, in May, uh, with Dan Mazur and Summit Climb. And Dan is 51. He'd met me before. He thought I was, quote, a normal person, which is a compliment. <laughs> Human being. Wow, a normal one. And so I said, I'm slow and steady, but I'll be an hour or so behind the others, but I'll keep going and I can go for like 12 hours and I'll be fine when I arrive and I don't tend to get altitude sick, but I am slow. So he was kind of prepared for that. So indeed, I was slow, but we were blessed with good weather and I reached the high camp um, on my uh, 68th birthday. And he, <laughs> wow. uh, he said, I'm giving you two Sherpas tomorrow. You can set out, or today you can set out this evening um, for Everest on the on the Tibet, Tibet side, the north side. So off we went and uh, climbed the, the steps, which are two, three enormous projections. I thought they might be like the front doorstep, but they're actually huge rocky 
towers um, into the night sky in the moonlight and the head torch lit them up and the problem was where do you put your big fat uh, climbing boot with the crampon on it for the next niche to get your next leg up climbing these rocks with ladders and um, ropes. So they uh, <clears throat> then that's when I realised this must be what they call the steps and there were three of them and a lot of the, the corpses that we saw in the morning on the way down were at the bottom of those steps so they're quite difficult to get up and down Good. and that's part of the challenge of the north side um, of Everest, the north face. So by midnight we hadn't arrived and I thought, well, my birthday's just come and gone but this is my birthday present that I'm actually getting a shot at the summit the first time and um, it's a, a clear moonlit night and no snow and no wind and that's uh, wonderful and unusual conditions for the summit of Everest. So we climbed on and at dawn the next morning, just before, we arrived. And um, it was still fine weather and it was just a stunning view watching the, uh, the sunrise uh, really on the top of the world. And I just did a 360 thinking I'm likely to be here again and just sort of photographed in my mind the pink dawn coming from the east and then the afterglow in the west. And circled and thought, yes, well, I've run out of film, but <laughs> I've got a shot. I've got a witness with my Sherpa next to me that I'm at the summit, but I haven't got enough to video the dawn. But that uh, was a magic wow. experience. Wow. Mm. What a story. That, that, is a, that is, I am uh, gobsmacked. There is so much wisdom and insight and amazement in everything you just shared. I just was writing down as you were talking there, um, Nothing ever goes according to plan, Jan. Um, you achieve this by baby steps. Um, I wrote down, uh, failure is temporary, quitting lasts forever because yep. it took you three goes. Yes. Um, in, the, in the middle of the night, you were climbing Everest when a lot of people are sleeping. It just makes me realize that a lot of success comes when, you know, what a lot of people aren't willing to do, which is climb mountains in the middle of the night. I'm feeling lazy. You, uh, you faced death to get to the top of Everest. You saw other people die. You saw other people that had died. Uh, climbing the steps um, and the pot of gold at the end of the rainbow was you got to do this on your birthday um, and I'd just love to know what it all meant to you when you actually got to the top. What went through your mind? Um, well, I said, is this the summit? <laughs> <laughs> a little frozen cone and the, the Sherpas actually said no. They had very little English. And then there were some other Sherpas who just arrived from the south. And so I went to them and said, is this the summit? And they said yes. And I thought, well, it must be because there's nothing higher around. Um, but the, they got on the phone, my Sherpas sat phone, and they just said, summit, summit, down to the leader who was waiting in the, the high camp below at 8,300 metres. And that was the only excitement their voices betrayed. And then I was a little teary because I thought, oh, my God, I've finally done it and I don't have to do it again and everyone can stop worrying. Um, and now, and then I said to myself, you send about 10 minutes, you do a photo shoot to prove that you were there. And then I thought, now, for God's sake, Jan, don't fall over on the way down because most accidents and deaths occur on the way down because uh, you can be tired, you can lose concentration, you can run out of oxygen um, and it's harder to go down. In, in fact, and harder to recover if you stumble, you, you know, fall a long way, you, you, well, you fall to your death. Um, so then I, that's, that, those were my thoughts as I got up there and I shed a little tear but kept my mask on, so only I knew that. <laughs> it was quite emotional. I bet. 
Jan, um, I, I, you know, the preparation phase is obviously crucial. And the thing, what you've undertaken is something that, you know, 99.9% .9 of the population will never, ever achieve or consider even uh, attempting. But in terms of longevity, uh, one of the things that we focus on in this show is the way in which people maintain living well and successfully um, living and, I suppose, ageing. And uh, I'm, I'm nearly 40. Uh, Marcus is uh, still a baby. Um, in fact, he's, he's just turned 30-something. And, uh, 31. And, and, Jan, you're, you're now considered to be a senior, and, uh, and you're part of that group that's uh, the baby boomers, and many people are scared of ageing. And I think part of this fear of ageing is a fear of the unknown or what's going to happen. And what we discover and what we understand is, whilst there's a lot of theories around, the people who are successfully ageing have a particular focus or a spirit or a, um, a, a purpose, a knowing, um, something that keeps them enthusiastic. What, what is it for you that is helping you age successfully? Um, well, I guess I've always um, enjoyed physical activities, you know, from school days to horse riding, uh, fencing, women's foil at Melbourne Uni, and then I had a bunch of kids for 10 years, didn't do much at all except look after children. Then I went back to um, fitness stuff and started running, and then I started trekking. Oh, so, no, then there was cycling, which was like long distance, the Caltex bike rides came in, the great Victorian bike ride in the that's 80s. Right. So, yeah, that's right. They were great. Yeah, so I did five of those, rode to Sydney and back, or trained back on the bike. And so those were fun and those were sort of long-distance endurance things. And I realised then that, you know, as you get older, like I was in my 40s then, that you can, uh, you know, you can power along and you can pace yourself and the young blokes sort of go flying past sprinting early in the day when you've got sort of six hours of riding and 100 k's ahead of you. And then they'd be off their bikes on the side of the road, um, you know, with injuries or just uh, wrecked, and you'd just go cycling past it. You're kind of, you know, not exactly a snail's pace, but a slow and steady like the hare and the tortoise. So mm -hmm. I learned value at, in my 40s of the long-distance stuff and the endurance and, and also pacing yourself, sort of listening to your body and, and saving something in reserve. We think of a red line when we're mountaineering and you... It's like uh, the second throat in your car and you don't sort of push above that if you've got, you know, many hours and many kilometres ahead of you. Mm. And at high altitude, that's particularly important. So I guess I learnt in, in my 40s to sort of pace myself um, and, I, and I had to train more. And the older I've got, the harder it has been to get the same level of fitness and the harder I've had to actually work at it. Um, and that's still true today. I want to get these um, other summits done before, <laughs> you know, I just had my first injury, so, and that's just healed. So I want to be, um, you know, training sort of incrementally. Uh, and you listen to your body a lot. You learn breathing techniques. You learn a lot of strategies. Um, you practice um, and you practice using the muscles that you need for whatever your goal is. So, um Someone, my nephew does a circuit gym and I said to him, you know, what, should I run or climb stairs or what do you suggest for climbing mountains? And he said, use the same, use the muscles that you'll be calling on to climb. So then I did more climbing and less sort of running on the flat. Mm -hmm. So I train under um, the Arthur's Seat chairlift. There's a very steep um, pitch there, about 0.8 of a kilometre, and I've just got an old spare tyre to train for Denali where you have to pull a sled and carry a pack. So I've got this 
big heavy um, tyre. I've seen people pulling them up there and thought, what the heck are they pulling tyres uphill for? And, uh, <laughs> now you know. It's because uh, you're trying to be a husky, yeah. <laughs> Um, Jan, I want to ask you about peer group. A lot of people talk about the power of peer group and uh, having people around you that support what you do. Now, again, at 68, there's a lot of people that are like, well, um, I'm too old to do this and do that. What's your peer group like? Do they build you up? You were talking about people were worried about you when you were climbing Everest. Uh, How supportive are the people around you? Oh, my husband's my greatest support because he always encourages me to do it. Um, and then I've, um, there's quite a lot of companies that won't take me anymore because they don't want an old woman up there on, you know, in their mountain. It's a pretty, a pretty male dominated sort of, um, activity, I guess, mountaineering, although there are some very, you know, noteworthy women who do it as well. Um, so I guess I, um, I just train the way I've usually trained or how I've been advised to use the muscle groups that I'll be using up and down the mountain. And um, I guess now I've got a, a good company in uh, Summit Climb who, um, because the leader's like 51, he's a bit more understanding of age. And, uh, and when the Sherpas wanted me to descend another, uh, another camp, another 1,000 metres after I'd come down one and I could hardly, you know, take one, put one foot after the other and I was thinking when can I decently just say uh, I'd like to, you know, crawl into the tent and crash now. <laughs> And um, he explained, oh, uh, they call me um, Amagaba, what is it, Amagaga, which means grandmother in N- N- Nepali. They said, Amagaga's a bit tired now. She's been to the summit and back, and um, she's 68, and we'll be lucky to be um, climbing and doing this when we're 68, so uh, we'll let her rest now. And I thought, well, thank God for that understanding. Absolutely. So, um, the thirty I must say the thirty year old guides are not inclined to be as understanding. They think if you're slow it means you can't do it, that you, you're not strong enough, that they think strength is speed. Yeah. Whereas in fact it's yeah. it's it's endurance. Obviously it's a certain you know, required level of speed. Yeah. But um it's also endurance and the older leaders understand that better. I think don't you find though that people as they get older, like just in life, a lot of younger people are more like the uh hair and then as people get older they become more like the tortoise and it's just a almost a transformation in many ways yes i think it happens around 40 that's what i found on the cycles and that's what you're about to achieve at 39 isn't it there you go i'm I'm feeling that jan i've got you hey (laughs) uh, jan i'm into food um many people uh have various different secrets secret formulas magic bullets you know recipes um they follow fads you know there's a lot of fads going around there's you know there's a big fad at the moment that a lot of people are following um and saying it's the ant's pants what do you do with food is it uh is it is it just set and forget and it's only one way or do you mix it up how do you go about eating your day well the only extra thing i do is glucosamine and um uh, uh fish oil i don't know whether it makes any difference or not that's just to protect hips and joints and things i I've been off it for a month. I left a packet of them up on Aconcawa and um, and uh, I didn't notice any difference that month. But I take it because I've got a friend with arthritis who reckons it's fantastic and she gets worse if she goes off. I don't have arthritis. Apart from that, it's a healthy healthy diet, just the conventional things. I was brought up in a doctor's family, you know, a lot of meat and uh, veg and fresh bowl of a bowl of fresh fruit always on the on the sideboard. So I've just uh, and lots of salads. So I've just continued to have those as my food preferences. Um, and uh, I'm conscious of drinking more milk as I get older to protect my, my bones. I've never had a broken bone and joints. And uh, I think load-bearing helps, so the exercise 
helps. I've always been a bit athletic. I was a runner at school, as I say, and then a fencer and then a horse rider and then the cycling and then the running. So um, only 10 years off for having children um, was running around in a different way. <laughs> Very different um, way, yeah. <laughs> but... Um, Yes, I'm a bit, my grandmother was sort of lean and skinny and she rode my horse at 18, at, when she was 80. Yeah, and wow. She, she went swimming in uh, North Brighton every morning till she went to a nursing home. So, I mean, I think I take after her a bit. She was kind of thin and active and I've been a bit like that through my life. And we were encouraged to, um, you know, play sport and go for walks and all that sort of stuff and had a backyard for children to mess around with and we were always sort of running, used to run races. At school on the Oval, my peer group remind me, we ran relays and and uh, so I guess I've uh, activity helps and I think just the normal healthy diet, protein and um, milk, vitamins, fresh fruit, fresh air, the usual things. I don't think there's a magic bullet. I just think more of the same that we already know. Yeah. Yeah. Jan, I've got one more question um, and I'd really like to know uh, your answer. You've recently come back from climbing and I'm going to attempt to pronounce it, Aconcagua in uh, South America. This was meant to be peak number two or summit number two of the seven continents and uh, you got 100 metres from the top and had to come back down and just to repeat... Whoops. Which is uh, May 2014... Um, how are you going with that? And how hard was it to get to the top and have to come back down? That was awful. I, I knew I could have gone on just my willpower, just slowly. It was very dry conditions. I think global warming have affected the Andes. This is in Argentina. It's the highest um, continent, uh, highest peak in South America. And it was like what they call scree. It's rolling rubble. So you've got ro- rolling rubble under you under your big plastic boots and you take one step forward and two steps back. You also go up very fast and you do a kilometre, try and do the last kilometre from 6.9 to, no, 5.9 to 6.9 in a day, um, starting before dawn. And, um, you know, it was just very exhausting. And at 5 o'clock I could see the summit and I'm 100 metres away. They reckon it would take me another two hours at the rate I was going because you didn't have time to acclimatise. So you sort of feel quite weak and um, it's just quite hard to move, never mind to climb with rolling rocks under your feet. But I knew I could have kept going and reached the summit, but I didn't know that I could come back (laughs) because usually when you reach your 7,000-metre camp on an 8,000-metre peak, you crawl into a tent and and the Sherpas, you know, make your dinner and that's it. You don't have to descend and you're on snow, which is actually easier to get a grip on with your crampons than rocks rolling around under your feet and everything moving. Um, some One young man of 29 got higher than I did, but he decided not to go to the summit because he didn't want to have to descend the rolling rocks, stand wow. on rocks that move under you. It's quite a, an amazing experience. Yeah. So um, I would have gone on, but the, the guide... Um, said he would I said well on one condition that you take me up again <laughs> and he said yes at the time and no later <laughs> <laughs> oh, amazing oh look we've come to the end of such a, another fabulous episode of 100 not out and uh, Jan Dr Jan Smith I, I'm, I'm wrapped and I know Marcus is wrapped as well that we've had the opportunity to speak with you it is amazing to hear stories like this so thank you so much for your time today it's been wonderful to have you on our show pleasure 
Now, remember, folks, we'd love to hear your feedback. You can provide it in any number of ways, but the best way is to go to our website at www.thewellnesscouch.com forward slash 100 not out. Also, if you've liked this episode, then please subscribe to the podcast on iTunes and also check out thewellnesscouch.com where you can view the entire range of wellness podcasts available, including the number one show, The Wellness Glows. So until next week, continue to make the rest of your life the best of your life. This has been a production of thewellnesscouch.com. Check us out on Facebook and join in the conversation on facebook.com forward slash thewellnesscouch. Subscribe to each show on iTunes and check us out on Twitter. The Wellness Couch, streaming wellness into your lives. Hi, Dr. Lawrence Tam here from The Wellness Guy Show. You know, the big ahas in life happen mostly when we're out of our normal everyday environment, right? If you're in need of some big light bulb moments and want to do it in a very luxurious surrounding like Fiji, well, I got something for you. Alfred Chakros, Kim Morrison, Cindy O'Meara, Karen Smith, and my boys, the Damien Christoph, Brett Hill from The Wellness Guys, and myself will be hanging out at the Western Resort and Spa in Fiji. We'll love to have you to be part of our first BFO wellness retreat in September. We're taking a small group of people to immerse themselves in discovering life purpose, physical health, and well-being. It'll be three days and two nights of unforgettable memories, definitely some massive breakthroughs, and of course, we're going to have lots of fun. For more information or book your spot, please go to shop.thewellnesscouch.com. That's shop.thewellnesscouch.com, and we'll look forward to seeing you there. Take care.